what a powerful morning of worship already. I, I hope that you sense the Spirit of God as we were singing boldly and courageously this morning. And may these words be a, a testimony of our own hearts and of our own lives as we look forward to these next weeks of life. Well, our iceberg is finally melting, I think. 102 degrees is probably uh, enough to, to cause our iceberg some problems. We are at the end of summer. Now, we're not necessarily at the end of 102 degree weather, but uh, we're at the end of summer. This is our last Sunday of celebrating our, our summer series through the book of James. Uh, we've gone through, not necessarily verse by verse, but section by section, and taking time this summer to focus on this beautiful pastoral letter of James to, to his church, to a, a people that he loved as he experienced their, their struggles and their, their trials, their temptations, and as he sought and seeks to encourage them and us through this writing. Uh, think about it. We've declared summer is over. Um, think of all the things we've done this summer. Youth have been to Falls Creek. Youth have been to, some of you have been, and some of our church folks have been to Watonga on a mission trip. We've had those that have spent the summer in Europe, those that spent the summer in, uh, in, in Peru, a, a tremendous group of youth and church members that, that went down to Peru and spent uh, a week, week and a half there in ministry. We've had folks from our church be, go to Africa to, to minister and serve the gospel. Others have gone to the Far East, uh, uh, Eastern countries, Far Eastern countries, and all of them in, in, in some way have been supported through the generosity and the gifts of this church, of individuals, but also through your regular gifts and offerings as we've been able to come alongside of those going to serve literally all over the world this summer. And they're back. Many of them are back. Um, we've had some, as I mentioned last week, that have served in Kansas City through the BCM ministry. Some have been to different church camps and served all summer. Uh, and it's exciting. But guess what? We've got another group getting ready to leave, don't we? We've got, I saw Jessica here in her OSU stuff. She's getting ready to go up north to Stillwater. We have several that are going to school there. We always need to make sure we're sending our missionaries up to Stillwater to, to help out there and to be the presence of Christ. So Jessica, Andre, and others, we give you our blessing as you go and certainly uh, look forward to just the great opportunities you have there to be a part of some great work that God's doing uh, through churches, through ministries at Stillwater and at OSU, we're taking Morgan back to Baylor this afternoon. I know that the several are getting ready to take their kids elsewhere to go off to college. It's that time of the year again. But church, let me remind you that as we send our students away, that means there are students that are coming here. That means that there are families that are moving into Norman. And they're going to be looking for a church. They're going to be looking for a place to worship and to celebrate and be a part of a, a Christian and church community and we have an opportunity, one of, the, one of the, the multitude of reasons that we have made some worship transitions is so that we can be better and more effective at reaching our community and our families for Christ, our, our students that are just a few blocks away for Christ. And it's not just my job, it's not just your staff and your ministry staff's job to do that, it's all of ours. To be a, a witness for Christ and just to invite others to come and to worship and to serve and to celebrate the Spirit of God in our midst, in our presence. So I want to challenge and invite each of us to make sure that you are, are encouraging those new families coming to our community, those students that are coming in 
to, to find a place of worship, to find a place of spiritual community. And certainly, we'd hope that you would, would invite them to come and to share with us. One of the, the neat thing that's, things that's happening as we've gone to early and late services is I've noticed some of you are staying for both services. Uh, we've got some that are coming for the early service, and this morning we had a wonderful service with, uh, uh, with music and with preaching, uh, with, but, but it's been a, a wonderful service, and I noticed several of you are staying, at least for the music part. Uh, uh, some are slipping out for this. They don't want to hear the second sermon a second time, and, and that's wonderful. But one of the reasons, other than just the beauty of, of the music and worship that's going on in both services, is to be together in community, uh, for us to worship better and better generationally with one another. And so I appreciate those that, that are kind of connecting with both services and uh, whether that be on a weekly basis or kind of being back and forth in worship, it's exciting to see what God is doing. As I said, we are finishing up our, our summer in the book of James. James, as I said, is, is a pastor. And he acknowledges the struggles and the, uh, the sufferings, the temptations that we have in life. Too often today in, in the church... We go and we hear sermons and all we hear about is how wonderful and how, how blessed and how prosperous life is. And sometimes we get the feeling that if we're not living in some kind of a, a prosperous, blessed state, that, that if we're struggling, if we're suffering, if we're, if we're struggling through our temptations, that there's something wrong with us. And I think James, is, is not, he's not a downer, but James is a realist. And James, as a pastor, understands and knows the struggles that his people are going through. God has, has blessed me with uh, just starting my ninth year of being able to serve here as pastor. And one of the, the, the opportunities and one of the, the real pastoral journeys that, that I get to share is getting to know you and getting to pray with you and getting to share with you and some of your, your, your families and some of your life struggles. And as I look around this congregation today, oh, there, there are some of us, there are some of you that are really struggling with life right now. And, and some of you, it's just a season of life. It's a season of life that's very difficult. Some of you are going through some, some, some illnesses, some tragedies, some struggles, some consequences of, of sin in, in your life or in the lives of others. And so as we conclude this, section of James, this letter of James, James is going to summarize and he's going to remind us of this community that we share and of the resources that we share through the Spirit of God to make it through trying and difficult in times of suffering. So turn with me to, to James chapter 5. Again, for those that, that may have, have caught on to our series towards the end, the iceberg, that's a picture of an upside down iceberg. And we're used to seeing these, these white icebergs that they're floating around or, or somewhere, and they're not really striking. They're, they're majestic, certainly. They're, they're powerful. But this is a picture of an iceberg that's been flipped somehow. And I was just struck by its, its beauty, its grandeur. And James is like that in his wisdom that he shares. It, it's different. It contrasts to the wisdom of this world. And so let's see how he wraps up this upside-down wisdom that he shares with us. Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? 
then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Did I miss, I missed verse 13. So we'll go up and read verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? You're suffering because I didn't get 13 first. Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He's to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer that's offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Again, James is, is wrapping up, he's, he's summarizing, and he's leaving us with a final exhortation as he concludes this powerful, insightful letter to the church. In verse 13, he, he starts with just a, a simple question. Is anyone among you suffering? Is anyone suffering today? James, again, writing in this pastoral manner, he, he knows the suffering. In fact, he's alluded to suffering all throughout this letter. Listen as I kind of go back through the book. James talks about caring for widows and orphans, acknowledging and recognizing the suffering that they go through. He talks about those without food and shelter and clothing, and the importance to come along and to help them. James knows about the suffering that takes place within our churches. He talks about the quarreling and conflicts that, that seem to take place at times. The sufferings that result from those quarrels. He talks about the, the struggle that we have not to show favoritism. That, that we gather in our cliques and in our groups. We show preference to one another. Instead of welcoming all the foot of the cross together. He talks about the struggle between the, the, those that are rich and wealthy within the congregation and, and, and those that are, are pressuring the congregation from outside and those within the congregation. He talks about those who use their tongue to, to curse and to, to tear down from within. And again, the suffering that's caused by that. He talks about those who would be willing to take you to court to sue you. He talks about those that would victimize you through their own selfish ambition, their own jealousy, their own selfishness. You see, James understands the suffering that, that takes place in a, in a community where people are gathered. And so he asks the question, are you suffering? Are you suffering? What about you? Are you suffering today? Are you suffering through the pain and the hurt of, of others in your life, of relationships that are struggling, that are broken? 
Are you suffering through the consequences of addiction? Maybe not your own, but maybe a, a family member or a, a, a friend, and you just see how this addiction is, is tearing them down. Are, are you suffering through that with them? Where and how are you suffering? We kind of joked about it earlier, but there's some parents that, that are suffering because their children are going away for a few months to go to school, and, and there's some suffering that takes place, even in, in the midst of some joy and some happiness. Where, where are you suffering today? James says, pray. Are you praying in the midst of your suffering? He says to pray for wisdom in the midst of your suffering. He says to be patient, to be long-suffering, to understand that there, is, there are times and there are seasons of life where we are called to suffer and to endure and to be patient. He says that we're to endure through the sufferings. We're to endure through the trials and the temptations. We're to endure because through that process, our faith is strengthened. Our faith is able to mature and to grow through those times. He says, don't complain, don't gripe, but endure. I turned 51 this summer. I used to think that was old. <laughs> My kids still think that's old. They tell me I'm on the downslide. I realize that although I'm much older now, I'm 51's not too bad, right? It's Still pretty young, some of you would agree. Some of you wish for the day you were 51. What I've learned already is that growing old is hard. Growing old is not for the weak. That, that as these bodies grow older, as they decay, as they move towards that ultimate time of physical death that we all will endure unless the Lord returns that there's some pain and suffering that's involved. It's funny or interesting, the writer of Ecclesiastes picks up on this. Let me share, if you've never read Ecclesiastes 12, it's a great passage to read as you grow older. He says this, Solomon says, well, I have no delight in those days growing older. In fact, he calls them evil days. And listen to how he describes them. He says, these are days when mighty men stoop. When we lose our teeth, when we can't see as good as we used to see. When we can't hear like we used to hear. And we never sleep through the night anymore. And those that laugh understand that. So how do we approach these days of growing older? There's some suffering that goes along as our bodies break down, as they tear down. As we get sick, as we get, become ill. How do we experience that? James says, pray and be long-suffering. Be patient. Endure and allow these days of suffering, of growing old, to be days in which your faith continues to be enriched and to be deepened. James says, are you suffering? What does that look like in your life? We're all experiencing it in some way. Pray. 
And then he asked the question that to me doesn't fit. Are you suffering? We'll pray. And then he says, well, are you happy? <laughs> James, you just asked me if I was suffering. So how can you ask me if I'm happy now? I'm suffering. And James, again, he's, he's summarizing, he's reminding us that in those times of suffering and trials and temptation, those difficult times of life, that we're to find time to praise God. Are you suffering? Then pray. Well, are you cheerful? Are you blessed? Are you happy? Then praise God. And those are not separate. Those are, those are experiences that go together. They're intricately linked. For you see, James tells us all throughout his book that in suffering, we should find joy and happiness. And as we experience those moments of joy and happiness in our own suffering, they should lead us to those moments of praise and of worship. Listen to James. In chapter 1, he says, Consider it joy when you encounter trials. He goes on and he says later, He says, Blessed or happy is the person who perseveres, who's patient, who's long-suffering under trial. He says, Blessed or happy are those who endure because they experience the compassion and the mercy of God in newer and more complete ways. The writer of Hebrews points us to the cross. He points us to Jesus. And he says, Jesus Christ endured the cross. He endured the suffering, the pain, the humiliation. He endured that. Why? For the joy, for the blessedness, for the happiness that was before us. And so Jesus becomes our example. Jesus endured for the joy set before him. Why? So that you and so that I, the scripture tells us, would not grow weary and would not lose heart. That we would not quit, but rather we would continue to endure. So when you find yourselves in those places of suffering, which drives you to your knees in prayer, don't forget to ask, God, where? Where am I experiencing your blessing and your happiness in this moment? And when God reveals that to you, take time to praise Him, to worship Him. I don't think James is, is flipped on us. I don't think he's a, a Pollyannish, kids, ask your parents about that, a Pollyannish perspective on life. Oh, you know, I'm suffering. I broke my lid. Oh, thank you, God. Let's break another one. That, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the reality of suffering in life. And when we take time in the midst of our suffering to acknowledge our suffering, to, to, to come to grips with our suffering, and through that experience and through that moment are able to find ways to praise God and to see Him working around us and through this time of suffering then we're able to praise and give God glory. Romans 8, 28 doesn't tell us that all things are good, but it says that in all things, God is about working to bring about good. And so in the midst of our suffering, can we take the time and the opportunity to say, God, I'm really struggling here. I'm really suffering here. I, I need to pray, and I need to pray for endurance. But, oh, God, show me your faithfulness and your presence and the goodness so that I can... Praise you. Our family went to Broken Arrow yesterday. My niece graduated high school and 
and uh, earlier in the year, and, and we've had our, uh, her graduation party yesterday, all the family getting back in, and, and she's getting ready to go off to college. And so we had, had, uh, had stopped to get something to eat at a fast food restaurant. And so when there's six of you, it takes time, and I'm trying to herd them through there as quick as I can. And, and I turned around, and Gay was back talking with another family. Many of you know Gay's a, a school teacher with Norman Schools, and, and she works with special ed kids. And, and all, all teachers, not just special ed, but all teachers deal and work with children, some children that really strug- are struggling with life. Home situations that, that are, are horrific and terrible. And Gay particularly came through a, a semester last year that was very difficult, very hard. One of those semesters that really questions, are, are, you, are you really doing anything of value here? Are you really making a difference in the lives of, of children? She turned around and, and she saw this familiar face. And she had gone back and, and had said, called him by name and said, Do you remember me? I'm Mrs. Smith. And she said his eyes got really big and his mouth opened up and he remembered her and he gave her a big hug. And they got to talk a little bit about where they were in life and how things were going. Afterwards, Gay shared the story. The last time she saw this young boy, DHS had come to get him and pick him up from school. He was being removed from his home. And when he was told he was being removed from his home, life was so bad that Gay said it was like the weight of the world had been lifted off of his shoulders because he didn't have to go back home. A young boy, a grade school boy, that, that when he was in class and when he was at school, was obviously anxious, had, had nervous tics. You could just tell was, was not in a healthy home situation. How divine is it that we would run into this boy in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma? And Gay was able to learn as she talked to the foster mom that over the last two years he had been put into a healthy home situation and that he had been loved and that his nervousness, his anxiety, his tics had had gone away, that he was beginning to live a healthy and normal life amidst some of the struggles and challenges of growing up. When we got through... And Gay was sharing some more. She said, man, that's exactly what I needed. Because sometimes it doesn't seem like through the suffering and challenges of being a teacher that you're ever doing any good. Because it's hard. And God brought this young boy back into her life yesterday just to bless her. And Gay said, I praise God that he allowed me the opportunity to see how this little boy's doing. And she said, he's just, he's different, he's changed. He's a different boy. She gave praise for that. Are, are you, have you been to that place? Have you, have you come to that place where in the midst of suffering, you're able to step back and have that perspective of what God is doing and to find that happiness, to find that joy, and to find that place to praise God, even in the midst of the struggles and the sufferings of life. Where are you giving praise to God today in the midst of suffering? James continues on. Are you sick? Certainly, are you sick? Are you suffering? 
There's illnesses, there's diseases that come along that, that affect us physically, but also there's, there's mental sickness, there's emotional sickness, there's all kinds of ways we can understand this. Are you sick? And James kind of changes up a little bit, but I, I think he's just reminding us. What does he say? He doesn't just say to pray. He says to call the elders to come and pray with you. As we go through seasons and times of suffering, of trials, of tribulations, when we're called to a season of life where we have to endure and suffer, we need to understand that we can't do that by ourselves. But that that we need to call others to come around us. We need to call others to come around us and to lift us up and to pray over us and to pray with us, to walk with us during those difficult times. And you see, this is a challenge for us in our culture today. This is a challenge for the American. Because why? Because we are taught and it is instilled in us that we need to be autonomous and independent and not to have any kind of dependence upon anybody else. And it's tragic when we see in our churches today when, when, when someone will have a struggle and a difficulty, instead of calling those around them from their church family, those mentors and those that they would respect, to come around them and to pray for them and to encourage them and to walk with them and lift them up, we go into isolation. And we remove ourselves from the very people and from the very support that we need in order to find healing and strength for life. Are you sick? Are you sick? Then who do you need to call around you to come and to nurture and love and pray with and pray over you. And God says, as we continue to read in this passage, that there is a healing, there is a, a, a power that is unleashed within the Spirit of God through that community that, facilitate, that facilitates our healing in ways that doesn't happen when we're just off by ourselves. Notice here, and this is maybe an aside for our, our time together, calling the elders to anoint them with oil. That, that's, a, that's an important passage there. I think it means several different things. In, in the Scriptures, when we see anointing with oil, we, we understand that as being a time of anointing, of consecration, even of, of ordination, of, of setting apart someone. But, but what that, that's a picture of is it's a picture of the Spirit of God coming in and over someone's life in a powerful, life-changing way. And so the anointing with oil is certainly symbolic of of the presence and the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our community to foster and to bring about healing. And so when we would anoint with oil, we have that picture there, the presence of God. For some today, that's a a powerful symbol that they continue to to practice and to exercise because it's a, a tangible way that we can acknowledge the role of the Spirit of God in our lives and in our healing. But there's another place for this anointing with oil that I want us to understand. Olive oil in in the day was understood to have medicinal qualities and purposes. And so the elders were not just come to pray and to invoke the presence of the Holy Spirit to bring healing, but also we have the picture here of bringing an oil that was considered to be a part of that healing process, a, a medicine a procedure, something that could 
help facilitate that healing as well. And so as we talk about anointing with oil in the name of the Lord today, I think it encompasses both of those things. Is that we have a responsibility to take the initiative to invite others to come and to pray over us and with us and to ask the Spirit of God to be even more powerful and present in our lives. But also an acknowledgement that we have a responsibility to pursue the things, the miracles that are, are found in, in our medical community and to be good stewards of those opportunities as well. Are you sick? Call and ask others to come and pray with you and for you and to walk with you as you go through that time of healing, of medicine, of care that you need to take. Verse 16 tells us that the effective prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. Have you experienced and discovered this kind of prayer? James is contrasting this with another kind of prayer he mentions in chapter 4, verse 3. An ineffective prayer. A prayer that is offered not for the blessing of others, not according to the will of God, but a prayer that is based upon wrong motives, a prayer that is based upon selfishness, a prayer that is based upon our own accumulation so that we might spend it on our own pleasures. Have you experienced effective prayer, James says? Or have you experienced ineffective prayer because you ask with wrong motives and purposes? James says that the effective prayer that we desire, that we seek, comes from a righteous person. We understand that through the work of the Spirit of God in our lives, through that salvation experience, that we are made righteous through Jesus Christ. John says in 1 John 1, 9, he says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Part of the healing process, part of the effective prayer process, is praying righteously. And that begins, even as Christians, that we come into the presence of God confessing our sin, acknowledging our own sinfulness. And in acknowledging our sinfulness, that allows us and positions us in a way where we can begin to pray effectively through the leading and guidance of the Spirit of God. For example, this effective prayer restores, this effective prayer heals. In verse 15, the prayer offered in faith restores the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up and forgive his sins. The Lord's healing comes in this life, but it also comes in what we call the resurrection life. So we, we have to be careful about interpreting this, this passage too much for this world, although I certainly believe that I, I encourage us to continue to pray for healing in this world. And miracles occur all the time through the power of God, through the, the, the work of medicine and treatments in our, in our world. God is able to bring healing. But let's understand, as, as, as James says here too, that the prayer offered in faith will restore, will heal the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, is a, is a picture of resurrection, is a picture of that promise that we all have in Christ Jesus of eternal healing, of moving from this life to the next life and experiencing a new body, an ultimate and final healing. We must be careful in this world as we look at this passage. I'll never forget the story. It's, it's a tragic story. 
of a widow, a lady, older in her 80s, struggling with cancer and struggling with disease that, that, that had just zapped her body. And she was, she was in hospice care and she was in those later weeks and months of, de- of life about to die. And her family, her children and her grandchildren abandoned her in those last weeks of life because they determined that she didn't have enough faith to be healed. This is not what James is talking about. The reality is, is these bodies are going to, they're going to break and they're going to die. But the ultimate promise that we have, even in the midst of those, those pictures, those glimpses of healing in this place, is that one day, as we move from this life to the next life, we will be raised anew, healed of the infirmities and diseases of this life and of this world. James offers us a model for effective prayer, a prayer of righteousness, a prayer that's offered in faith, a prayer that focuses on intercession and praying for one another, a prayer in which we come together to confess our sins, which we experience forgiveness, which leads to healing, leads to spiritual healing, that leads to physical healing. This is a powerful picture of the relationship between spiritual and physical healing. Jesus offers this picture in the healing of the paralytic in Mark 2. He says those that came against him, well, which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or get up, take your mat and walk. The scriptures are complete. They they all throughout demonstrate the intricate and intimate link between physical and spiritual healing between sickness and between health. God created us in such a way that our bodies partner with the healing process. And when we are in a state of shalom, of wholeness and wellness spiritually, where we've confessed our sins, where we're at peace with ourselves and with others, there is a greater opportunity and experience of healing than when our bodies and our emotions and our lives are so wrapped up and frustrated and angry and bitter and hurting. And so James says as part of this prayer, part of this healing time, we confess our sins one to the other. And through that act of forgiveness, God continues in His gift and His work of of healing. So James in these last verses, in the last two verses, his concluding thought and sentence for this, this letter He offers an exhortation. He offers an example. He offers an invitation. Therefore, that's my therefore. He says, the person who turns a sinner from the air of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. In chapter 3, verse 2, James acknowledges that we all stumble. None of us are perfect. The reality is, is there are times in each of our lives when we need someone to come along beside us in our own sicknesses and our own illnesses to gather around us, to anoint us, to pray with us, to walk with us. And James reminds us of the incredible redeeming value and purpose of that experience. In chapter 1, James reminds us of the slippery slope that leads from temptation to lust, to sin, and to death. 
And we are all susceptible to this slippery slope. And in these final words to the church, James exhorts us, he calls us to do a better job of praying, praying through our suffering, praying for one another, and also of walking along the si- alongside of those who are experiencing the struggles of life the trials and temptations that they face. James is exhorting us and teaching us that as we grow and as we mature through our own sufferings, through our own trials of life, that we must do the same to help others have victory and progress as we have. So James comes full circle back to chapter 1, verse four, verse, verses 1 through 4. When he says, consider it all joy. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. May that be the testimony of our heart as we embrace the teachings of James and we live those out each day. Let's pray.